0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network.
1: You're listening to episode 286 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Nancy Shalahita has worked in the ISTS department at the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust for almost 12 years. Before that, she spent 10 years at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts as both a fundraiser and a SQL data analyst. Her background is in arts administration, and she's been involved in arts marketing, fundraising, and technology for nearly 25 years. In her personal life, she is a mom, a knitter, and a volunteer for local community groups. She also spontaneously sings show tunes, which her colleagues generously tolerate. Welcome to the podcast, Nancy.
0: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
1: Wonderful. So, Nancy, how did
0: you get in tech? Um, well, yeah, it's interesting. I don't have any sort of formal education. I don't have a computer science degree or anything like that. My degree is in um, uh, English lit and theater, and I have a master's in arts administration. And I really thought I was going to manage a theater group, and, um, and I, I structured my early career in um, arts marketing and in arts fundraising and it just so happened when i was um working as a fundraiser for the kennedy center we were doing a data conversion of our um using an old mainframe provider for our membership directory and there was this um, new product coming out that we wanted to get ready for um called and it involved a lot of um, repointing of keys and things like that and i just found it really interesting i was sitting next to um, who's now a very good friend, um, watching her write SQL code and thinking, gee, I really wish I could get to my data as quickly as she could. Um, and I was starting a family and I was, you know, the late nights were becoming a, a more of a drag. And honestly, I've just never been a very comfortable fundraiser anyway. So the making the switch was um, a natural progression for me. I could still work in the arts and support an industry I love, and I um, found that I really do enjoy working with SQL, too. So um, that's how I sort of transitioned over to that department.
1: Very cool. So Nancy and I work together, and I happen to know that she has many jobs at the
0: Trust. But I'd love to talk about what is a day in the life of a DBA? Um, OK, well, let's, let's just back up a second. Um, I do a lot of DBA tasks, and I do a lot of developer tasks. Um, but I wouldn't call myself a full-time DBA. Necessarily um, and I have a lot of support on the DBA um, uh, On those DBA tasks we have a wonderful consultant that we're able to work with for 15 hours, but um, what I do consider myself is um, a Database expert when it comes to our own installation I mean a lot of DBAs will tell you that they don't care what's in your database They don't care what your data is in the database They're there to make sure that your database is up and it's running and it's performing That end of things, my day typically starts um, as soon as I wake up, in fact, I immediately check the phone and I have a lot of jobs that run overnight and if any of them have failed, I get an email notification about it and that means I can get fixes started right away and often you'll see me at my breakfast table drinking coffee, getting those done while the kids are going off to school and I'm getting ready for work and I know that that's going to be ready by the time I get to work. My mornings. I have a couple of other um, reports that come in around eight in the morning, and that basically tells me tasks and things um, that I need to work on um, um, that are due that day. That I can that I can attack in the morning. I like to spend my mornings doing that. And second. Second tier, you know, a lot of escalations come my way for application problems um, that I have to, to resolve and then in the afternoons I spend the time uh, on project management, you know, if we're developing um, a new report or some new functionality, I will uh, spend the afternoon that's a, a productive time for me working on those um, escalating issues to our vendor support and then uh, typically my day ends you know we have a lot of support that happens on the West Coast and so if there's um, tickets or questions that come back by 7 in the evening I want to respond to those back at home and I usually just do quick to keep that ticket moving so
1: a common interaction that I see at the trust is that we'll be in a meeting and you know a topic will come up and we'll just all kind of wonder what the answer is to a certain question. And so it typically involves bringing Nancy in, she pulls open uh, some sort of editor, writes some SQL code and gets that answer for us so we know whether or not it's a good choice to make. Mm -hmm. And so often when we ask that question too many times, then she'll
0: suggest a report. So (laughs) that's exactly right. There was a time during our Hamilton on sale where we jokingly said that the answer was always 42 or uh, I forget what the what the string answer was, because oftentimes I would get the question from our boss, how many tickets do you think we sell here? And I would be like, well, I either have to query it or I can tell you the answer is 42, which as you know, is the answer to life, the universe and everything from uh, Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: Awesome. So how much data do you manage day to day and what kind of technologies are you using to manage that data?
0: Sure, are a Microsoft SQL server, um, shop here, Um, our primary application that supports our ticketing and our fundraising requires that we use that um, database infrastructure. So we have four different environments, um, all are SQL Server 2016. We of course have our production environment, we have a test environment, we have a development environment and we have what we call a beta environment because we are a a large user of our particular um, CRM application and so whenever there's new um, functionality coming out. We really want to be the first to take a look at it to make sure that it's not going to break any of our customizations of which we have hundreds. Um, so within those four environments, there are a total of 22 databases that I'm responsible for the largest of which is, um, 200 gigabytes, and the smallest of which is very minuscule at three gigabytes. I say that knowing um, that if any of my SQL DBA colleagues are listening, they may think well, that's nothing. I manage hundreds of databases, and that's true. That's very true. I'm lucky in that I only have 22, but so much of the work I do isn't DBA related. It's I'm I'm consider myself an application expert in the way our data, our relational data um, database is set up and Frankly relates to itself, so I'm pretty familiar with the tables and the fields and everything that that manages the tra- that the transactions hit regularly.
1: So you just t- touched on a topic that I wanted to bring up, and this is especially useful to people who might be new to Ruby on Rails. But Active Record is the M in MVC, the model, which is the layer of the system responsible for representing the business data and logic. Active Record facilitates the creation and use of business objects whose data requires persistent storage to a database. It is an implementation of the active record pattern, um, and it's a description of an an object-relational mapping system, a.k.a. an ORM. And so in this case, an ORM is a technique that connects the rich objects of an application to tables in a relational database management system. What this really means is that because we have active record available to us, is that you can be a successful Rails developer without actually knowing SQL. So I'd love to know what your thoughts are on, on that.
0: Oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. There, there's always that big debate out there um, with all the SQL flavors, the NoSQL and the MySQL and, you know, the SQL Server, and do we really need DBAs any longer? And what, you know, and I, I get all of that and I understand all of that. Um, however, and I love the fact that there are, I consider them more middle layers, friendly layers um, that help you do the work you need to do um, without having to be bothered by all of the, perhaps it's minutia, perhaps it's just an overload of data or of little bits and bytes that are uh, not necessarily relevant to your task at hand. But I really don't think we can code in a vacuum. Um, And although I don't think, I, I think knowing SQL makes anybody more marketable, first of all. And I think knowing SQL um, a front-end developer, an application developer, web developer, knowing SQL, much as much as me as a SQL professional, understanding a little bit of um, Ruby on Rails or Perl or Java, JavaScript, C++, um, is it helps us communicate better. It helps us work on projects holistically. It helps us uh, encourage teamwork, if it will. So there's that whole, you know, touchy-feely, let's all feel good, kumbaya kind of stuff that goes on there too. But practically, I also think it's important to know, and although I don't think, you know, a web developer needs to be a SQL expert, SQL's not that hard to learn. Um, And I think it's important to know that when you're using these middle layers, what exactly is it doing? Um, You know, I have uh, have a couple of um, customers who use, reporting tools on the fly, you know they're Excel add-ins, and they're not developers at all. And yet, sometimes they come to me troubleshooting this issue and I open up their spreadsheet, as it were, and I sit there and I wait and I realize that whatever it is they've built is hitting the database the same table four times. And I think to myself, this is not efficient. And and this is just a little report, but if you're building a, a, a commercial website or something that has to have very fast response times, you're gonna wanna know If that one query you're sending through is really the most efficient query you can send, Um, Active Record I think it's great that it's there, but I understand that with before Rails five it couldn't even do an inner left join, Um, and that's kind of important. You know, inner left joins are not esoteric at all any longer. So yeah, I think um, I think a little bit of SQL isn't bad to have in your tool belt.
1: I completely agree. So a good example of what could happen at the trust is say I'm designing the website and I need to pull up all the performances of the Wizard of Oz. It would make absolute no sense to every single time I'm pulling a performance to also call up the main production. There's Mm -hmm. no reason to do that. And we call that an N plus one query. Mm -hmm. And so knowing enough SQL to be able to avoid that is incredibly important, not only for performance, but just making sure that you're not manipulating data that you shouldn't be. Um, no, I completely agree. We're very lucky to have the active record, but I see it time and time again in interviews. People want to see that you have those raw sequel skills because it really is a, it's a layer that touches everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. always relevant. So a um, couple years ago, I held a Rails Bridge event in an art museum, uh, which was really fun and you were one of the participants, which Mm. was awesome. It was a great event. Oh, that's great. Great. (laughs) I definitely want to do more of those. Mm -hmm. But what were your immediate impressions of getting set up and then using Ruby on Rails?
0: Well, it's funny, I remember um, uh, there was a, what was it called on the Friday? The Friday? uh, Installation Friday. Yes, Installation Friday. And I wasn't going to go to the Installation Friday in the evening, but because I knew I had access to you, I um, I was asking for your help to get set up because I was having difficulty with it. And you know, I have to use a Windows machine and at the time you were on a Mac and um, and I didn't even have Linux running on my machine. So I think together, it, did I do that or did I bring in my husband's Mac? My husband is a huge Mac enthusiast. I may have brought in his Mac actually, now that I think of it. I needed some assistance from you. So the setting up part, I have to admit, was a little intimidating. But once we got it set up, I just loved the day. And I loved, um, I really wish I could work more um with um but the reality is we have you and we have such a great team supporting it that i can focus on the sequel side i find though that anytime i do get to dabble um in other languages i I find i'm immediately drawn to the similarities you know but sadly once i leave the um i leave the training or the tutorial if i'm doing it on my own if i don't stick with it regularly i lose it because you're working with Fake data or dummy data or very small data sets, and you know I really need to see something practical to my everyday life. Agree, um, and that's I think how I really sort of took off with SQL because I actually had access to a, a big data set that meant something to me and was, um, you know, having such a background in ticketing and fundraising for the nonprofit arts, you know, I I could see how um, the code I was I would write was. Making uh, a difference right then and there to my colleagues who needed to make meaningful decisions about, um, you know, marketing efforts or things that were coming down the pike.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I have this entire theory that I myself personally cannot learn unless I have someone waiting on something. Mm-hmm. So if there's a new technology that I want to learn, I will actually try to get a freelancing project in that technology so that I have you know, fuel to the fire that I have to learn this technology and that I have a reason to get it done. Oh, that's smart. So I enjoy doing hackathons, but I always pick hackathons where you're actually building a product for a nonprofit that that is expecting a final result. Mm -hmm. If it's just a fun hackathon where it's a throwaway project, I will write the code and then you could give me a couple months later and I won't even recognize it as my own right. unless I have a reason to really follow through with it. So I completely agree with you. And we're lucky that we're in an environment that if we are interested in a technology, we can kind of raise our hand and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, right. but I really want to learn this thing. And if you give me room and space and you know some resources, mm-hmm. I'm going to get there. Right. But just yeah. knowing that you can maintain it. I think it'd be really cool to be able to develop some sort of Rails bridge where you get into a legacy code base and you get set up. But we all know that that would take Mm -hmm. weeks and weeks and weeks, but it's really the best way to learn, for sure. So we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. And on the other side, we are going to talk more DBA stuff. Datadog is a monitoring and analytics platform for cloud scale infrastructure applications and logs. Datadog integrates seamlessly with more than 350 technologies so you can track every layer of your complex microservice architecture all in one place. Distributed tracing for Ruby applications and APM provide end-to-end visibility into requests wherever they go, across host, containers, and service boundaries. With rich dashboards, algorithmic alerts, and collaboration tools, Datadog provides your teams with the tools they need to quickly troubleshoot and optimize modern applications. See for yourself. Start a 14-day free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free T-shirt. Just visit datadoghq.com slash rubyonrails. Link is in the show notes. A big thank you to to Datadog for sponsoring the show. And we're back. Nancy, can you talk about the trials and tribulations of multi-tenancy with the trust?
0: Um, Happily, um, but I also will talk about the benefits as well. Um, Too often we think, oh, what a drag. We all have to share. Multi-tenancy is when you have many distinct organizations that have to or have chosen to share one software application slash solution, often because it's less expensive for everyone to share on that or for some other reason. And and that is definitely true in the case of the Pittsburgh arts community. Um, many years ago, uh, there was... Um, a re a a compelling reasons for the symphony and the the civic light opera and the ballet and the um and the the pittsburgh opera the public theater the pittsburgh cultural trust and many others to to throw all their you know efforts in together um because it was a cost savings but also in reality we all share very similar customers and we have a lot of cross-referencing cross-buying Of um, constituents here because we share you know that they share the same interests we're in the same geographical location Um, uh, we have um, also a shared box office we have a shared website so the symphony for example although they're sharing the same database as the ballet and the theater and the opera they have their own website um, that goes down the same purchase path, but it really has to have its own look. So there are definite challenges in that you have um, You may have competing interests, you know, someone is doing one sale Here and it is stepping on the toes of another organization's on sale date, for example But you also have combined marketing efforts such as our Christmas and July promotion um, from a technical perspective we use um Uh, a series of secure views, secure SQL views, that help to isolate row by row um, data views per organization. It's called a control grouping. Um, That's simply because that was developed long before SQL created their own row by row. Microsoft created their own row by row um, SQL views and later And and the name of it is actually escaping at this point, but you can Google it. We'll include it in the show notes. (laughs) Yes. Um, uh, So we have secure views that were built by um, our software vendor and that we also customize. And it does everything from controlling the inventory products that a certain organization can see versus what the web can see. Um, It obviously isolates off um, certain fundraising um, data from um, from certain organizations, um, all the way down to um, financial remittances and GL accounts. I mean, we've de- developed our insecure views for things like that. So there's a lot of work. We have business um, project managers, in fact, that take an awful lot of time, a lot of their time, training new users as well as facilitating conversations between internal user groups whenever we're doing new development of, you know, especially the website, you know, what does everyone need to see or want to see? Awesome. developed?
1: Awesome. So I have to ask this. Mm-hmm. Do you have any database horror stories you oh. can share?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I've tried to block them out, Brittany, but thank you so much for <laughs> bringing that up now. Uh, well, and, and I would like to say they're not only my story, sometimes other people do an oops and it's always on me to fix it. Um, in my current job, you know, it's I'm pretty much one of the only second, I am the only second tier data escalation around at, at our current place. But yes, there was a time when I missed a where clause, the classic, you do an update and you forget the where clause and you've updated the entire table. It's just in my case, I thought I was in test and I was in live and I updated at a special event table back at the Kennedy Center so that the RSVPs for our big fundraising gala had my name And it just so happened i didn't discover it until the special events manager called to ask what was going on and ps the special events manager was my boss's girlfriend so that was fun not thank god for backups and restoring um uh yes i think we've all done it and it and and i have to say that i'm grateful every day that i don't work in one of those cutthroat environments where you're fired immediately for stuff like that And I'm also grateful that I am a paranoid individual still. All these years later, I constantly say to myself, what environment am I in? And can I run this now? And I always wrap my statements in to a beginner and a commit tran or a rollback tran. Um, I take full advantage of any kind of... um, Uh, Nice functionality such as if you're in production your tab is bright red and if you're in test your production your tab is bright green because those are nice mnemonics but yeah I've had them. Everyone has. I think we
1: all have. I deleted the sites table once and we didn't have a website for a good 15 minutes. Oh
0: I remember that. Yeah that was a good day.
1: (laughs) Um, but that kind of goes on to my next question about what makes a good DBA or someone who manages data. So being a paranoid individual, just being very detail oriented, I'm sure is important.
0: I think, well, yes, you have to be detail oriented you have to like to solve problems, but even more so in, in the past decade, you really have not only detail oriented, you really have to have a, um, a willingness to accept security aspects of data. I mean, data is truly. OK, not truly, I think truly, but some would say arguably an organization's greatest asset. I mean, it's not like perhaps it's not money in a bank, but it is goodwill. It is your reputation, It is your organization's reputation. And if that data is compromised in any way because your database, your data wasn't secure, well that you're not just talking about you're talking about fines, you're talking about loss of reputation it's so important, so very important. And so that to me um, is one of the big albatrosses really around a DBA's neck is it's not just, you can't really enjoy, I don't think that's enjoyable, but there are DBAs out there who are so good at it. And um, I like the fact that I can sort of get in and, and you know play with the data in a test environment and um, develop meaningful solutions for my, End users. That's why I don't really call myself a full time DBA. Um, But in addition to that, I think you have to have a love of learning. I mean, there's always the next version that comes out. And and unfortunately, in the SQL community, there are some wonderful resources for SQL learning. Um, There's great ways of getting involved and meeting other SQL professionals and learning. Um, new things about SQL. I mean, when you talk about SQL Server, you're not just talking about the database engine. There's integration services, and there's reporting services, and there's analytical services, and there's, you know, now there's, you know, business analytics, and, and Power BI, and all kinds of, of uh, uh, people just specialize and spend their entire day in. So, um, The DBAs that I've worked with in the
1: past, um, it's just someone who you tell them that you have a lot of data that needs to be analyzed and they get really excited about it. And I just don't feel like that's a skill that can be taught. You just get excited knowing that if a question needs to be asked, that you're going to be able to find an answer so that the organization is making the right choices. Mm
0: -hmm. See, I would consider that more of a DevOps person Mm -hmm. um, or a... um, business intelligence person. I mean, the reason why I love having a DBA consultant that I can talk to every week, Matt at RDX is fantastic, um, uh, because he he's one of those DBAs that that I can ask him questions about the data, but he, data isn't his thing. That's my thing. Mm. But if I say to him, Matt, we had this report, it's been running great, but now it isn't, and nothing has changed that I can see, as there are some parameter sniffing going on, has the index have the indexes not been running? I mean, I didn't see any any error messages. I mean, he can sort of get in there and 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 give me some tips on what might be going on from a SQL engine perspective. Not so much from a you know development perspective. He can also open up some code. You know, often we have some old code that hasn't been touched in years, and he can look at it. And he can say, you know, if you guys are on SQL twenty sixteen now. There are you can use this this you can use you know all kinds of different types of Um, functions or avoid a function and use a CTE instead of a cursor so you're not doing that it's called rebar Jeff Moden is a, a SQL guru out there and he coined the term rebar which stands for row by agonizing row you can do more set based querying and things like that so he's great he's a great resource for me we have a standing call every Wednesday and I can just talk to him about whatever it is I want Um, or whatever it is concerning us. And they're always there for us as a backup if something um, goes wrong, like we don't have a backup, um, like a database backup. They're always there to sort of help us us through any problems. You raise
1: a really good point, though, because just in the Ruby on Rails community and the larger developer community as a whole, there's an ongoing discussion about what is a front-end developer, what is a back-end developer, what is DevOps. And I really don't think the question of what the role of DBA in business analytics comes up much, but I feel like that's a role also that evolves and has many different flavors to it. Yeah.
0: I think I just threw that out there because I, not that I care, but I think there is a sensitivity out there still about, especially in the SQL world, about are you a DBA or are you a developer? And when I go to conferences and someone says to me, you know, are you a DBA or are you a developer? I'm like, well, you can call me a Jack of all trades because I, I don't work for a great big bank and I don't work for Google or, and I, you know, or GoDaddy or, you know, the GoDaddy DBA comes to a, a lot of uh, conferences and workshops. Um, I work for a nonprofit arts organization that can't afford to have a DBA and a developer. Um, so, and and I like that actually, I think I, I wouldn't want to just be stuck with one or the other. I think that gives me a better understanding of the projects that are going on here, the needs that we have, um, so, and you know, like I said, I don't have a technical background. I have an arts background. So I love the fact that I can still support what I love with a new skill set, if you consider the past 15 years of having the skill set new. Yeah, so speaking of, how do you recommend listeners get educated in all things SQL? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm a huge fan of free learning. But I also have some paid suggestions too. But if you're looking to um, just jump right in with a with a wonderful Stairway series, I cannot recommend more highly the um, SQLServerCentral.com has a Stairway series. That's just great, and it's free, and all you need to do is sign up for it. Um, They have a lot of other stairway series as well. There's an advanced T-SQL series. Um, There's a series on SSRS or any other kind of SQL Server um, topic you may be interested in as well. Um, SQL Pass um, is the professional association of SQL Server um, professionals, (laughs) and they offer something in, in many cities around the globe called a SQL Saturday. Which is free. It just costs you lunch. They they cater to lunch for fifteen bucks. And it's all a whole day's worth of free SQL SQL learning. And it's not just T SQL stuff. I mean, they'll talk about containers and they'll talk about cloud, you know, SQL Server in the cloud, and they'll talk about, you know, um, in, you know, integration services or analytical services. There's a lot of um, a lot of options in SQL Saturdays. So I would really encourage you to check that out. If you're um, Pittsburgh's is coming up on October 4th. Um, and registration is open. So definitely um, look into that For a couple of paid resources, you cannot beat Itzik Ben-Gahn's um, book T-SQL Fundamentals It's fantastic and I am a huge huge fan of Brent Ozar um, Whose website, I think it's brentozar.com um, uh, He and this is also a paid resource, but he has some wonderful free products, especially if you're an accidental DBA like me, um, that you can just put in place. And if, if anyone comes running into your desk to say that, you know, the application is slow, you know, and immediately they go right to the, d- to the database. And you're thinking, I don't think it's the database. It could be the network. It could be anything. You could just run some of uh, Brent Ozar's scripts and it will tell you right away what, what the problem is. I think one of his store procedures is actually called Ask Brent. <laughs> and it, it looks at locks and blocks, and it looks at you know I/O and all kinds of things that are going on, and, and it tells you if there might be an issue on the database side that you need. So, um, but he also has some wonderful workshops that do cost, but um, but he also has some great free stuff as well. So that that would be my suggestion just for starting. Tons of resources out there.
1: Oh, that's so great. Well, Nancy, how can the listeners
0: follow you? Oh, gosh. Uh, You know, I am a lurker on Twitter, but I'm pretty much on Twitter every day. So if someone wanted to reach out and send me a direct message, um, my Twitter handle is at PBJNancy, like peanut butter jelly Nancy. um, And that might be the best way to reach me.
1: Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Um, You had a lot of really wonderful advice. Listeners, definitely check out the show notes because there's going to be a lot of great resources there. Talk to you next week.